to turn over to Acts 17. We're going to kind of continue um, what we've been talking about on Sunday mornings recently. And um, we've been sharing a lot of things kind of just out of my heart um, personally and for a church, kind of where we want to go and what we're called to be as the church. And some of these things I'm saying are not unique to our church. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of given that the church of Jesus Christ, they're called to do one thing and one thing only. And the thing is that we've been talking about that on Sunday morning. We've been talking about being a witness. We've been talking about sharing the good news. We've been talking about um, sharing our faith and, and living out the mission that God has called us to live in. And that's the most important thing we could ever do with our life. It's the only thing that God told us to do. And when Jesus went to uh, be with his father after he uh, paid the price for us, he gave the church, which is all of us, the Great Commission. It's called the Great Commission. Notice it's not called the Great Suggestion. It's called the Great Commission, meaning you need to go do this. This is not, I'm suggesting you do this. This is what you're called to do. This is your mission. And we talked about that when we don't live out this great commission or this great calling that God has given us, our lives aren't what they should be. We're not fulfilled. We're not satisfied. We're not excited about our faith anymore because we're not doing what God has called us to do. And that's the Great Commission. So we're going to talk a little bit, a little bit more along those lines today. And we're going to start in Acts 17. And we're going to start reading here um, in verse 22. We start reading in Acts 17 and verse 22. But I want to give you a little context of this passage of Scripture before we read it. So the context of this Scripture is that Paul is at a um, city called Athens. And Athens was a place where there was a lot of um, philosophers. There was a lot of very intelligent people. There was uh, the brightest people of their day. It was the Harvard of their day. It was some of the most intelligent people who debated politics. They debated God. They debated mankind. What is our point? What is our purpose? What is our reason for being here? And so Paul is in a very secular city, He's in a very non-church city. He's in a very post-Christian city called Athens, which is what the world is turning into. It's a secular society. It's a non-church, no upbringing in the church, no even uh, knowledge of the Christian faith. They are growing up in a post-Christian world, whether you like it or not. So we need to be wise as believers to understand the days we're living in. Can I get amen? We need to be wise as believers. We should be the wisest people everywhere we go because we have the Holy Spirit within us. And since we have the Holy Spirit, we should walk in wisdom with people. So this is the context. He's talking to these people who do not know God They're a secular group of people. Uh, They've been debating the existence of God. In this place, there was, in Athens, there was idols everywhere to every God that you could imagine other than the one true God. And so Paul, like Paul could only do, when he goes places, he's got to get in people's business. That's just what Paul does. And when Paul goes places, it's either going to cause a revival or a riot. But he's not just going to go through the city and nothing happened. That's the Apostle Paul. Come on, can I get an amen? 
And so something's going to happen if Paul's there because Paul is bold about his faith. He was bold to persecute Christians. He was bold to persecute the church. So he's just as bold for Jesus when he gets saved. And so uh, let's see what he said. He says in Acts 17 and verse 22, now he's preaching to all these people that are not church people. And this is what he says, men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars has the inscription on it to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Now, verse 26, from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth, and he decided beforehand when they should rise and when they should fall, and he determined their boundaries. And verse 27, his purpose was the nations would seek after God, and he, they would perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Now, listen to this part. Though he is not far from any one of us, Verse 28, for in him we live and move and exist, as some of your own poets have even said, we are his offspring. You guys here today? So if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Closer Than You Think. Closer Than You Think. That's what we're going to talk about today. Closer Than You Think. So we see that the Apostle Paul was a man of God, but he was called to preach the good news to really the non-religious people, the unchurched people. He was, even though he was raised in a religious background, in a religious mindset, God sent him specifically to people that weren't like him on purpose. And it's funny because Peter was sent to the opposite. Peter grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. Peter cussed. Peter rode a motorcycle. And guess who God sent Peter to? The religious people. But he sent the Pharisee boy, Paul, to the non-religious people. (laughs) And he did that on purpose because he knows if I send them to somebody that's the complete opposite of them, that they're going to really have to give the glory to me that I did it. And it wasn't them because it's outside of their comfort zone. It's outside of the people that they're used to. And how many know that's the same people that God sends us to? Come on, we talked about that, didn't we, last week about what's in your sheets? We talked about that God will identify things and issues that you have towards other people that are not like you, prejudice that you have that, are, that is holding you back from reaching the people that God has called you to reach. And the bottom line is we all have that in our lives. We all have a little bit of prejudice towards certain types of people. Whether we say it or we don't say it, it's in our heart. And we need to deal with those things. So Paul had to deal with those things. He had to deal with those issues in his heart. And notice God sent him to places that were not like what he was used to. God sent him to places where people did not grow up in a religious background or religious mindset. So we've been called by God to live out this great commission Uh, By God. And the Great Commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. 
preach the good news to everyone and know to see them saved and healed and delivered. And like the New Testament says, see them become a disciple of Jesus. That's the call of God on our lives. Now, are you called to be healed? Yes, but that's your not, not your number one calling. Are you called to be delivered? Yes, but that's not your number one calling. Are you called to be prosperous? Yes, but that's not your number one calling. Your number one calling is to go into all the world and preach the good news of the gospel. Because the gospel is not just about you. It's for you, but it's not just about you. It's bigger than all of us in here. The good news is too good to keep it to ourselves. It should be. Because that is the heart of God. And God's plan for his church is that we go into all the world and preach the gospel. And he's not satisfied until the whole world knows the gospel. And the whole world has a chance to hear the good news. And that's why I I mentioned this before, but I really don't think that Jesus is coming back anytime soon. Now, if he does, you can forgive me on the way up to heaven. And I'll tell you why I think that, because there's a lot of people, billions of people that don't know the good news yet. And God is a fair God. He's not going to let all these people that haven't even had an opportunity to hear the good news just die in their sins, unreached, and they never heard the good news of the gospel. He's not willing, it says in the Bible, that any would perish. He wants all to come to the knowledge of him and receive salvation. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. And the good news is for everyone. The good news is for everyone. So um, there's some things I want to talk about today that are kind of practical. And I want to share some things about sharing your faith today. Um, Sharing your faith with other people. And this is something that uh, has been on my heart because um, that is our call. That is our calling. And the reality of of sharing your faith with other people is this, and I'm just going to give you some things to think about, is you and I realize the best way to see people reached and to see people saved and uh, see people come into the house of God. And the thing is, we need to get our mentality right. Yeah, we want people to come to church, but that's not our main purpose. Two amens. Of course we want people to come to church because we realize God has called us all to be in a church family because he wants us to grow up and we can't do that by ourselves, pastoring ourselves at Coffee Crossing. We can't do that. You can't pastor yourself. I can't pastor myself. We need other people helping us. So that's why the church is important because you can't grow without the church. And you're called to be in a local church and do something great for God because we can do more together than we can do apart. We're better together. But the thing is, when talking to people about Jesus, is the goal is not, can you come to my church? That's not the goal. That's not the purpose. The purpose is bringing them to Jesus, not to church. Now, I believe if they come to Jesus, they'll come to church. (laughs) But that's not the purpose. The purpose is getting them to come to Jesus. And a lot of times, the best way that happens is one-on-one. Now, listen to what I'm saying. In the context of a relationship. In the context of a relationship. When you're sharing your faith with other people, uh, you realize a lot of times it doesn't work when you just scatter the good news at just anybody you see and they're random people that you never had a relationship with before. Now, they might think about what you're saying, 
But the real conversations that matter are people that you have a relationship with and that you can speak into their life. So that means for us to be able to reach people for Jesus, we have to genuinely start friendships and relationships with people that are not like us. So we can't just go to work and hand them a track and say, uh, good luck. Hey, hey, you want to come to my church? No, you, it has to happen in context of relationship. Now, I know that there's times, there's divine times that God will call you to a random person and uh, God will have you speak to them and it works, but notice that's not majority of time. Majority of time, it happens in context of a relationship. So let that be the first challenge of today that we develop relationships with people that are not like us. And we develop relationships with people that are not church people. We develop relationships with people that are different than we are. Now, once again, that takes us outside of our comfort zone. Takes us outside of our comfort area. It makes us deal with what's in our sheets. Because usually that's the people that God are going to send you to are people that are not like you and people that are that have issues that you might not agree with. So we need to think about this. If we want to reach people, we have to develop real relationships with people that are not like us. Now you're still here. You're awful quiet. I know you're listening. We have to develop relationships and notice not for the wrong reasons, relationships. Not because you're trying to sell them something, but because you care about that person. You care about their life. And we need to be mature enough as believers to be able to separate in our head between loving the person and loving what they do. The thing is, God can separate the two, so we should be mature enough to separate the two. Because God loves people, everyone, no matter what they're doing, no matter how they're acting like, and... He doesn't agree always with what they're doing, but that doesn't change his love for that person. It's the same way with us as believers. We as believers need to get to a mature enough place where we can love people, and that doesn't mean we agree with what they're doing, but we can still love the person because the person is more important than what they're doing. They're more important than what they're doing because what they're doing can change any time. But the person is what God really cares about, the person. And a lot of times when we get those prejudiced attitudes, what, what are we seeing? We're seeing what they're doing. We're not seeing the real person that's hurting, that has issues, that God loves just as much as he loves us. And we're just seeing what they're doing and not the real person behind it. And um, think about this. If we understood people's story, we wouldn't judge them so harshly on what they're doing. Because really, you realize, if you've ever talked to anybody who's living a crazy lifestyle, when you hear their story, it makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> when you hear your story, you're like, oh, shoot, I would be doing the same thing if I had went through that. And so we need to be compassionate enough to hear people's story. Now, why are they acting the way they are? They're not just doing that just randomly. There's a reason behind that, and it's usually... 
the story from their life, what has happened to them. The situations that they went through, that's why they act the way they do, is because their story. So we need to be willing to hear people's story. Be willing to listen to people and be compassionate to where they're at in life because of what they went through. And that will help us to understand them better and not judge them for uh, what they're doing. Because God loves them. I mentioned this the other week, but you love your kids. That doesn't mean you love everything they do. But that never changes that they're still your children. (laughs) No matter what they do, you still love them. Doesn't matter if they went to jail for murder, you still love them. Doesn't matter what they do, you still love them. It's the same way with God. God loves us unconditionally like a great parent. But that doesn't mean he agrees with everything that's going on. And we need to be, notice we're followers of him. And we should be in reality brothers and sisters to these people that are outside the four walls of the church. We need to think the way God thinks about people, which is that he loves them and he wants to see their life restored. He wants to see their life restored. You still here this morning? So we serve a God who loves people and we need to be mature enough to love people. Love people for where they're at because if we were in the opposite situation, that's what we'd want from other people. We just happen to be privileged enough and favored enough to be already in a relationship with Jesus, to be in a church family, to to already experience some of these things, but a lot of people haven't. So we need to be able to love people the way that he loves people. We also need to walk, and we mentioned this before, to walk in the power of God with people. We don't ever need to forget that we have power available to us. As believers, just like the book of Acts, we have power available to us. And there's something that people will mention, and it's called power evangelism. That we don't just have a gospel in word only. We have a gospel that we can demonstrate something. We have a gospel that we can show people the power of God. We have a gospel that we can't just say God is alive, but we can show them and help them experience the real God. Because God is alive and well, and he is willing to show his power on people's behalf. How many know if you pray for somebody in your office and they get healed, they're going to listen to what you have to say? If you pray for somebody in your, in your uh, work or your school and they see a situation change in their family, guess what? They're uh, really willing to listen to what you have to say. And I believe with all my heart that God is willing to move on people's lives whether they're saved or not saved because he loves people and he wants to show them he cares about them. And a lot of times, how does he do that? He does it through us. We are the hands and feet of Jesus, and God wants to touch this world, and who does he do it through? Us. He does it through his church, the body of Christ. That's who he does it through. It's our greatest privilege and honor that God wants to use us to do his work in the earth. God wants to use us, and that's the way he set it up. It's his idea, not our idea. A lot of times when we talk about this, people say, well, you're elevating people. No, God elevated us. We didn't elevate ourselves. And he said, hey, I want you to be a part of the mission. I'm the head, but you're the body. And let's do this together. The church doing the mission of God. So we need to think about that with power. But there's another thing we want to talk about today 
is using wisdom when it comes to unbelievers. Using wisdom when it comes to unbelievers. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So we see that in the book of Acts 17, we mention it, the city of Athens, it was a secular city, a post-Christian city. Um, It was a city who was not really a religious place. It was a place for philosophers and for teachers. It was a place that was really anti-one true God. Um, It was kind of the culture we live in today that all roads lead to God. Uh, There's no one truth. There's no one way to God. Whatever's true for you is true for you. Don't tell me different. If you say that I'm wrong, then you're a bigot and that you're judgmental. Awful quiet. You guys don't live in this world that I live in? Because everybody is equal with their opinion and what they believe. And all roads lead to God. All roads are right. All roads are true. Whatever you feel is true is true for you. And that was, even though this was 2,000 years ago, this was still the same people. In the book, book of Acts, in, in this story about the city of Athens, they lived this way. A lot of times people will think that um, the day and age we live in is so much worse than 2,000 years ago. But the reality is, all of this has been around since the beginning of time. Amen. Now there's something, it says in the book of Ecclesiastes that there's nothing new under the sun. It all goes around in a circle. So you think this culture was sexualized right now where, we're, where we live today? No, read the book of Acts and the church at Corinth. They were the same way just 2,000 years ago because Ecclesiastes says that there's nothing new under the sun. It just goes around and around and around. There's no new ideas. And the same way we have philosophers and teachers and PhDs and people that think they know better than God and everyone else, it was the same way 2,000 years ago in Athens. Same type of people, philosophers, teachers, doctors of theology, doctors of all these different subjects, and they thought the same way that people do today. So that's why when we read the Bible, the Bible is not something that's so far off that we can't relate to. They were dealing with the same issues that we deal with today. Same stuff. And Athens, I believe, in this story is a picture of the world we live in today. Now, you realize, I don't know if you realize it, because we live in the Midwest. So since we live in the Midwest, we live in what's known as the Bible Belt. So we're a little secluded to understanding what the rest of the world is like. But let me fill you in on this a little bit. Europe, Canada, a lot of parts of the United States are now post-Christian. Post-Christian. Meaning there was once a time that the churches were thriving and people grew up with the knowledge of God and people took their kids to church. And even if they weren't in church, they had a knowledge of God and a knowledge of the Bible. But we don't live in those days anymore. Now, what are we talking about today? We're talking about wisdom with people that are outside of church. Wisdom with people that are not saved yet. Wisdom. Now, we're talking about wisdom. So you need to understand people before you're going to be able to talk to people. You're going to need to understand people before we are going to be able to reach people. 
So we see Europe and Canada and uh, a lot of the coastal areas of the United States like L.A., Seattle, Portland, New York, Miami, cities like that all over the country are very post-Christian. They're liberal. Now, once again, we live in the Midwest, the Bible Belt. We're secluded, so we don't understand this fully because we're kind of in a bubble compared to the rest of the United States. But you realize even this area of the country is changing because of this post-Christian mentality. They've grown up, a lot of these young people, a lot of people that are living today in a post-Christian world. We need to understand people and where they're coming from. And that is the context of Athens. They were living in a world where they didn't have any knowledge of the one true God, any knowledge of the Bible, and it was a secular city. So we see that this is the world we live in, and we need to understand that, and that will help us use wisdom with people who are outside of a relationship with God. Now, the gospel is the good news, and the gospel is the message. And the message stays the same forever. But the methods have to change. With every generation. So this morning in southern Indiana, I can preach differently than I could in Seattle. Because you guys at least have some more knowledge of God in the Bible. But if I was in Seattle or New York City or L.A., I would have to preach differently. Not that I wouldn't preach the gospel, the message, but my methods would have to change because I realized the people are different. Now, you hear what I'm saying. Why? Because, once again, we need to use wisdom with people. Wisdom. Now, I'm talking about this for a reason because this pertains to you personally, but this pertains to us as a church. Because the message always stays the same. The good news stays the same. The Bible stays the same. But the methods always have to change if we want to reach people and fulfill the Great Commission. And we should be 100% okay with that because that's the way that God does things. And God says in His Word, and we're going to get into some of those scriptures later on, that you need to use wisdom with people who are not like you. And you need to use wisdom with those who are outside of church and are unsaved because your point is you want to bring them into a relationship with God. And if you don't wisdom, use wisdom, you could scare those people off. If you don't use wisdom, you could offend somebody before you get an opportunity to talk to them. So we're talking about using wisdom today. So the message stays the same, but the methods will always change. Once again, today, like I said, if I was in a different part of this country, I would have to talk differently if I wanted to reach people because the methods are going to have to change. So the message stays the same, but the methods will always change. Now, they'll change if you want to reach people and to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, they won't change if you're more in love with your method than people. Now, that's why in the church world today, there's so much debate and argument about this kind of stuff. Because people that are refused to change are more in love with their methods than reaching people. 
They're more in love with the way it's always been than reaching new people. They're more in love with their comfort zone than reaching people for God, which is the great commission that we've been called to do. Now, you hear what I'm saying? And that applies to a church, but that even applies to you personally. Do we love our methods more than we love the message in helping people that need Jesus? Because the methods will always change, but the message remains the same. You know, in 10 years from now, the methods are going to need to change. And 20 years from now, the methods are going to need to change. And 30 years from now, the methods are going to change. It's going to happen because that's the way this world works. The message stays the same, but the methods will always change. We see this from the Apostle Paul in his preaching to people. When he preached to certain groups of people, he changed the way he preached. Because he used godly wisdom to understand where those people were coming from. When he talked to Jewish religious people, he used a lot of scriptures in the Old Testament because they would understand that. But notice when he talked to people that were unchurched, he didn't use one scripture at all. But he related with them, realizing I have to use wisdom if I want to reach people for God that are not like me. Now, I know you guys are thinking, but are you receiving this this morning? So I need to be, now here's here's the word, relationally intelligent people. You understand that every person is not the same that you meet. Every person is from a different background. And you need to let the Holy Spirit give you wisdom. Now, I'm not just talking about just you personally. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit who lives in you can give you wisdom that you can be relationally intelligent with people to be able to talk to them in a way that they understand. Now, did you understand what I just said there? The Holy Spirit is the one. He can give you that supernatural wisdom to be able to relate to people and get on their level of thinking to reach them for God. So that's what we want to be as a church family. We want to be as believers. We want to be relationally intelligent people. And that comes, of course, from having some knowledge about people, but also the Holy Spirit giving us wisdom on what to say and what not to say. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us and guide us into all truth, and that pertains to that. It doesn't just pertain to us personally. It pertains to even talking to people. He can give us the wisdom and the knowledge on how to handle certain situations and settings of people that are not like us. So the message remains the same, but the methods will always have to change. Always. And we should be willing to. If it's not a foundation in the word of God, we should be willing to change whatever we want to change for the sake of people. People are more important than our preferences in our comfort zone and the way it's always been. People are more important than that. So, let's look at Acts 17. I know I'm saying a lot this morning, uh, but I just want to share this with you. I want to be a church that, that we are a church that has people that know how to use wisdom with people that are outside of the four walls of the church. So Acts 17 and verse, uh, we're going to start in verse 27. Verse 27. So Paul is preaching to these philosophers and teachers, these Harvard graduates, these doctors, 
of all these different subjects that you can imagine. People that were educated, some people were religious, some people believed in everything. And what did Paul do? Paul used wisdom with these people in Athens to figure out where do I need to say this? What do I need to say? How do I need to say it for them to understand it? So he preaches and he says, because notice the Holy Spirit's given him wisdom to do this. He says, you have one statue over here that's to a God. It says to the unknown God. And he says, since you got the rest of these gods taken care of, let me tell you about this unknown God right here. Because he's the one true God. He's the one living God. And he's the one that you, you don't realize that you've been worshiping because he's the one who gives life to all. No, no, no. She didn't give them a scripture. He got on their level and started talking to them about what's important to them. So then he shares and he goes on and he's preaching to them. And he says this in verse 27. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist And as some of your own poets said, notice he quoted their own poets back to them. He said, we are his offspring. We are his offspring or we are his children. But notice he said, God did this. He put these things in place. He put this desire in all of mankind to search for God. And his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. You realize God put a desire in every person that ever has lived and will ever live to seek after him. Why does that subject come up so much? Is there a God? Is there a God? Does he care about me? Can he do anything for me? Everybody's always debating the existence of God. Is there a God? Isn't there a God? Because they know in their heart they have a desire and a drawing to God because God put it in them all. In every person that's ever lived, there is a divine purpose and calling and desire that's drawing them to God. Now, sometimes they don't know it's God, but there's a desire to know God. Now, God put it there. And so if we realize that, we'll learn how to talk to people in a different way. Knowing that at the core of who they are, they really want God. At the core of who they are in their heart, they want there to be a God. They, they want a relationship with them. They want to be in a church community. They want to know this true and living God. They want to have answers for their life. They want to have hope. Deep down at the core of who they are, that's what they desire. Now, you need to know that when you're talking to people. Because people put up superficial things to you that are not necessarily what the real story is. A lot of people that are angry and act like they're tough, they're the people that are hurting the worst. Why? Because they're putting that up because they have a desire on the inside of them to seek after God. Now, you hear me this morning. They have a desire, and notice God said he put it there. That the nations would seek after him and find him. And I love this next line. It says, though he is not far from any of us. He is not far from any of us. 
Now that brings us back to the title of this message, Closer Than You Think. Now, I want to share something with you for a second. And I know what people mean by this because a lot of churches say this. And I agree with it. But a lot of churches say, we want to be a church who reaches people that are far from God. Which I know what they mean by that. They're talking about people that don't have a relationship with God. So in relationship, they are far from God. But in reality, they're not far from God. So just because the relationship's not there doesn't mean that God's far away from them. Or we'll say, I know this person's really far from God. Well, now, why are you saying that? Because of the way they act. Oh, I know that person, man. If anybody was far from God, woo, they are way far away from God. And our, and our idea and our thinking is church people are the people that are close to God. And sinners are the people that are far away from God. Now, that's true in relationship, but in reality, that's not true. Because God says right here, and he's speaking through the Apostle Paul to these people, that God wants us to seek after him, though he is not far from any of us. Now, I think that would encourage us when we're talking to people about God, knowing that this person I'm talking to, they're not far from God. God is right here in our midst, and they're closer than you think. The person that you don't have any hope for anymore, that they will get their life right and that they will get saved and they will turn their life around. The good news is today that God just said it. They are not far from him right now. Because God's word says that they are closer than you think. The hard people, the hard situations, the hard hardness of heart that some people have, those people are closer than you think to God. And he says they are not far from any one of us. He's not far. The thing is that God is a God and he is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at the same time. He is a God that is as much here as he's in a strip club. Oh my gosh. He's as much here as he's in a bar. He's much, as much here that he's, he's in a hotel room. He's in here as much as he's in a dive. He's here as much as he's in somebody's house who's doing drugs right now. Because God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. And in reality, if one of those people just reached out just a little bit, He's closer than they think. Because he, what does it say? He's not far from any one of us. Help is close by. And we need to think the same way God thinks about it. And once again, just because he's in those places doesn't mean he agrees with what's going on. But it means he loves people. And he's close because he's there to help people if they just turned to him. So it's closer than you think. I think all of us in here, after we leave today, need to realize all those people we think that are too far gone, no, they're closer than you think. All those people that you think are, are it's over, it's done, I'm, I'm, I'm done talking to them. You know, they're never going to get it. No, they're closer than you think. 
Those people in situations that you never imagined they would be in, no, they're closer than you think. Because God said it. He said that He is not far from any one of us. And we need to think about that when we're talking to people that are not in a relationship with God. Don't think in terms of, man, this person is way far from God. It's going to be, whew, it's going to be a hard one to get this guy in. Man, <laughs> he is just out there. Instead, go into the situation thinking, man, this person is ready to go. They are closer than you think. God is not far from this person right now. This situation could turn around in 10 minutes. That's the way we need to think about it. Because, you know, a lot of us, we go into situations like that negative. <laughs> well, let me try again. <laughs> Probably not going to worry. This person is pretty far gone. We go into these situations with a lot of negativity, and that doesn't help anything. Instead, we need to go into these situations and use wisdom, being people that are full of faith, realizing God's word is true, that these people are closer than you think. And that God is not far from any one of these people. He's ready. He's able to help. And these people, if they would just turn just a little bit towards God, God would be there to help and rescue them. You getting something today? It reminds me, just like the prodigal son, as soon as the son started back towards the father's house, the father, notice the father didn't sit on the porch have his arms crossed waiting for his son to come home. The father ran to his son. And that's the same way with God. If you just barely even reach out to God or even turn his direction or act like you need some help or or want his help, that's when God comes. And God is closer than we think. God is closer than you think with the people that you think are too far gone in your life that need to be reached. He's closer than you think. Let's look over at Colossians 4. You guys get something today? So we serve a God who wants to see people saved to come into knowledge of the good news. So once again, when we're thinking about people, when we're talking to people that we know are not in a relationship with God, we need to always think, these people are right on the edge of seeing their life changed. They're not far away. No, they're right here. They're closer than I realize right now. Now change the way you talk to people, go into these situations full of faith. So Colossians 4, and we're going to read here in a, in a moment in verse 5. We're reading from the New Living Translation. But before we read that, you could just write this scripture down. It says in 1 Peter 4 and 15, he's talking about you talking to people who don't know God yet. He said that you should be able to give an explanation of the hope that you have in you to people who are outside of God. Be willing to give people some knowledge of the hope that's in you when we're sharing our faith. Be willing to tell people why you have hope. And it says, notice, be ready. That would mean you've got to be full of wisdom when you do that. Be ready because people are going to ask you for the hope that's in you. Not, hey, why do you have hope? Uh, I don't know. 
I'm a Christian. I go to church. I don't really know. No, be ready because you got wisdom to give an answer to them. In Colossians 4, 5, and 6, I love this in the New Living Translation. It says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. So notice that, live wisely, we're using wisdom, among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Verse 6, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. I love that. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So in Colossians, he's encouraging this church. He's saying, you're going to be living in a world full of people who are not believers. I want you to live wisely. Live wisely. Notice that word coming up, live wisely. Use wisdom when you're talking with these people. Use wisdom and make the most of every opportunity. Now, that's where it comes in. Some of us in here need to get some urgency on us because he says, live wisely and make the most of every opportunity. Some of you will never go back to the school you're going to be at this year. So what do you have? You have an opportunity that you will never get back again. Some of you are only going to work at this place one time in your life and you're going to a different job. So what is God saying? Live wisely and make the most of this opportunity because you're not getting it back. You're never going to have this opportunity with people like you do right now. And that's the way we should think about every day. That I'm living wisely and I'm sober-minded in thinking that I have this opportunity. And if I miss it with some of these people, I might not ever get it back. And that should put some urgency in all of us to share our faith with people because we only get certain opportunities once in life. So we need to have some urgency about us. Now what happens with a lot of us as believers? We all say, I'll do it tomorrow. Next week I'll talk to them. (laughs) Next month I'll talk to them. Next year I'll talk to them. And guess what? Next year it never comes. Tomorrow, you don't talk to them. Next week, you don't reach out to them. It happens to all of us in here. And notice when we do that, we miss these huge opportunities that God is giving us to share our faith. That's why he says to this church, live wisely. That means be smart about how you live and how you talk around these unbelievers. But make the most of every opportunity because you're not getting it back. So there should be some urgency on the inside of us for people who don't know God. And that's what I see in a lot of church people, not just this church, but all over the world, is that lack of urgency to do something. We'll do it tomorrow. We'll do it next week. We'll do it next year. And then next year comes and goes and nothing happens. And five years comes and nothing happens. And ten years come and nothing happens. Why? Because there's no urgency at the opportunity that God has given you. How many churches have you heard talk about revival and ten years passed and there's no revival? And 15 years passed and there's no revival? And 30 years passed and there's no revival? Why? Because there's no urgency. We'll get it next week. We'll get it next month. 
We'll get it next year. Come on, am I preaching? You guys are super quiet today. We'll get it in a couple years from now when everything's better. No, no, no. And what happens? We miss God-given opportunities. I don't want us as a church to miss opportunities, but I don't want you personally to miss opportunities because sometimes you only get them once. That's why he says, I want you as a church to live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Brother Darrell, could you come up and play for a moment? Let's read in verse 6. It says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right, notice the right response for everyone. The right response, not just a response, the right response. And how do you have the right response? The Holy Spirit gives you wisdom, I want to say. I'm going to talk about these two things as we close. Let your conversation, notice, what is he talking about? Not with believers, with unbelievers. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. Gracious and attractive. So first of all, when we talk about gracious, being gracious, gracious speech should be speech that just because God gave you that grace that you should be that same gracious with other people. Because you have received the grace of God that you can lend people that same kind of grace. Now that's gracious speech. That the words that you speak are uplifting and encouraging and not negative and not judgmental. Gracious words are somebody who's received grace so they can give grace to other people knowing they don't have it all together but neither do I. So I can be gracious with somebody who's not like me or going through something I can be gracious. Gracious, and he says, let your words be gracious and attractive to unbelievers so that they will have the right response for everyone. The right response for everyone. Our words should be attractive. For so long, Christians have put people off by the words that they say. Let's not, let's not be said of us in this church and our, our, ourselves and our families that we're believers that put people off. But we're people that when we speak, it's attractive. People are drawn to us, not pushed away from us by what we say. He said, let your conversation, meaning it's a choice. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone an attractive speech I would say attractive speech is being encouraging being faith filled being hope filled guess what if you complain about everything else at work you're not attractive in your speech if you're negative just like everybody else at work you're not attractive in your speech when they're attracted to you is when they see something different in you than everybody else That, hey, you're not like everybody else. You're not negative like everybody else. You're not depressed like everybody else. You got some faith about you. You got some hope about you. You got some encouragement about you. You got some uh, strength about you that I can see that and I want that because I'm attracted to it. And the way they receive that is by the way we talk, our speech. Let our words with unbelievers be gracious and attractive. Gracious and attractive. 
those words imply to me that they're going to be drawing people to us. Drawing people to us. And notice when people are drawn to us, what do we do? When people are drawn to us, we say, no, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Because that's the goal. The things that you like about me, the things that stand out about me, it's not me. It's Jesus. If somebody's attracted to you and wants to talk to you and wants to know more about what you have, it's not you. It's about him. But notice, that's the way God does things. He uses his church. He uses us. And our words should be gracious and attracted that we have the right response for everyone. The right response for everyone. I don't know about you, but I've been in situations before with people who are unbelievers. And sometimes what comes out of my mouth is shocking. Now, I don't know if you ever experienced this before, but you're like, that was the perfect response, but that didn't come from me. (laughs) That didn't come from me because I didn't think of that. That was too good. I was about to amen myself. Amen. That's good. Man, what? You must be a preacher. Come on. That sounds good. I've already told you before about how nervous I get in those settings. You're thinking, man, you got it covered. You're so bold on Sunday mornings. But in those settings, we all get nervous. We all get fearful. We all like, I don't know. uh, Hi. I'm awkward. Hi. Uh, What's up? Thank you. No, you didn't say anything. Oh, you're welcome. Um, Jesus, do you go to church? No. Okay. Okay. Bye. But I've had that multiple times happen. Now, what was happening there? The Holy Spirit was giving me the right response for everyone. And that's what it says it can do. Your conversation could be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Let's look back at one more passage and we'll close today in Acts 17. Acts 17. Appreciate you guys coming out today. Talking today about closer than you think. Acts 17. So we're talking about having speech that's gracious and attractive and the right response that draws people to you. I love this at the end of Acts 17. Notice Paul Priest's message and this is the response he got. Acts 17 and verse 32. It says, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but notice this, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. So notice some people laughed at Paul, but there was a big group of people when he was done preaching said, hey, Paul, can we talk about this later? Can we go to coffee later? Can we go to lunch later? Maybe we could go to the park and talk about this later, Paul. Why? Because Paul's speech was so gracious and attractive, and he had the right response for these unbelievers that that was their response when he left and was done talking. Hey, Paul, can we talk about that some more later? Why? Because they were attracted to what Paul gave them. 
And that should be us. That should be our everyday life. I'm believing that like never before, that we would be believers that are gracious in our speech, that are attractive to unbelievers in our speech and have the right response. And I believe starting today that we're going to start having testimonies like that, that you in here, that people at your work or at your school or in your neighborhood or where you work out or wherever you go are going to start saying, they might not say, I want to get saved right now, but they'll say, hey, can we talk about that later? Because you know that God's working on their heart when they say that. And you know that they are closer than you think when they say that. And I'm believing like never before you're going to start hearing things like that. Hey, can we talk about that later? Something seems different about you. Could, could we have a phone call later and talk about that? Would it be okay if I came to your church one Sunday morning? Sure. Why? Sure. Yeah. And you know by those responses, God is working on their heart. Just like he was working on these people's heart. And notice when Paul was done, they said, we want to hear more about this later. And be willing to put in the time with those people to give them later. Yeah, but I'm not going to be able to watch my favorite show at 8 o'clock if I talk to them. People are more important. I might miss lunch today. People are more important. I might not be the most popular person at my school anymore. People are more important. The plan of God is more important. People being saved and being restored and coming back to God are more important. So I believe like never before, we're going to be a church that is gracious and attractive, not just here, but outside these four walls. And that the Spirit of God will give us wisdom on the right response for everyone. Can I challenge you today? Start praying these verses over yourself. Now what these verses say, again, you could just pray every day. Father, I thank you that I'm going to be wise when I deal with unbelievers today. Father, I thank you that I'm going to make the most of this opportunity and not let it pass me by. And beyond that, Father God, help my speech and my conversation to be gracious, to be attractive, and that I have the right response for other people today because you've given me wisdom by the Holy Spirit. That's how you pray that scripture. It's two verses in Colossians. And I believe if you pray that, God will answer those prayers. Come on, we believe in that around here. Because that's the kind of people God has called us to be. The thing is, we want to see that that's what our heart wants, but we need to apply these things into our lives to make that happen. So let's pray today. Father, we love you today. And we just thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your power moving in our lives. Father, I pray like never before that we would be a church and we would be believers that are gracious and attractive with our speech. I pray over these people right now, and myself included, that we would have the right response for people that are outside of a relationship with you. Father, I pray that we would live wise and make the most of our opportunities we have. 
Father, I pray right now that a divine urgency would burn in our hearts right now for people, for situations. A divine urgency would stir us up that we realize we only get one shot at this. We only get one life. We only get one chance. And it's very limited in light of eternity. And Father, we would make the most of these opportunities we've been given. Stir us up like never before and give us an urgency to see people come back to you. Father, I pray right now that you'd give us a new love, a new power, a new wisdom on how to reach people that are not like us. Help us to love people that you love, to reach people that you want us to reach. Be wise enough to know what to say and when to say it. Father, that's our desire today. And that's what we're asking. I pray, Father God, right now, and I feel this today, there's there's some of you in here that have people that you're praying for, you're believing for, and that you've really gotten discouraged about it. And that's why I wanted to preach partly about this today because I felt this very strongly, that God wanted me to say to you today, they're closer than you think. Come on, do we agree that t- about that today? They are closer than you think. Those people that you think are far from him, no, they're not. God is not far from any one of us. Those people are closer than you think to being restored. They're closer than you think to being saved. They're closer than you think right now. And God's moving behind the scenes even when you can't see it. Father, we thank you for it today. We thank you for it today. We thank you, Father God, conversations will happen at work and at school or wherever we go, conversations about you with other people. Father, give us those words to say. Give us the wisdom on how and when to say it. Father, I pray like the Apostle Paul that people would come back to us and say, we want to know more later. We want to know more later. Let's talk about this later. Could I come to your church later? Father, that's what we desire as a church family. Come on, if, 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 that, if you agree with that today, could we stand up and just lift our hands for a moment? If you're in agreement with that, Father, that's what we want. That's the desire of our heart as a church family. That, Father, those conversations would happen. That people would be drawn back to you. And just like the Apostle Paul, they would come back and say later, hey, I want to know more. I want to know more about this hope that you have. I want to know more about that faith that you have. I want to know more about this God that you're talking about. Father, let us be those people. We ask you that you'd use us. We ask you that you would help us. We ask you, Father God, we can't speak for everybody, but we can speak for our church We want to be a church that's used by you to do that. And we're willing to do that. Thank you, Father. Come on, can we thank him for a moment? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for using us. We thank you for the privilege and honor it is to be used by you. To be used by you.
to be used by you. It's the greatest privilege and honor we will ever have is to be used by you and to help in this mission, help in this calling that you have for the whole entire world to be saved. Father, we thank you. We just thank you for it today. We love you today. Father, I thank you for these people today. Thank you, Father God, as we go, that the blessing of God goes with us and on us. The favor of God is upon our lives. Father, we thank you for strength and for healing to be upon us. Father, we thank you for your angels that protect us and surround us. We pray, Father God, for a great week coming up, that it would be an anointed week, a favored week. And that, Father, that you would even give us opportunities that we talked about this morning in the next coming days and the next weeks. And we love you today in Jesus' name. Amen.